Glad to have you here this morning. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we kind of did a setup for this series that we're going to be doing on the prodigal son. And uh, my hope is that even if you go, oh, I've heard this story so many times that you will uh, hopefully try and let us take a look at this in a new way with some, with some new eyes. Um, this, is my favorite, this is my favorite story. It's my favorite parable. It's my favorite story in Scripture. And the reason is because I think it encompasses all of the gospel in one story. Uh, it, it just has all of the good news just compacted into this one spot and uh, makes you realize uh, not only was Jesus the Son of God and uh, the Lamb and the Lion, he was a great storyteller. I mean, just did a great job with it. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, one of the things that we did was we talked a little bit about the feast. And I would encourage you to go back and either look at the sermon or read Luke 14 because one of the things that we did, we're going to be in Luke 15 today uh, with the prodigal son. But Luke 14 last week is really a big setup uh, because what Jesus did was he spent a lot of time talking about the feast and how the feast represents the kingdom of God. When, when Jesus talks about when God writes, when Isaiah prophesies for God, all of these times when they speak and they say, the feast that God prepares, what they're talking about is they're talking about being in the kingdom of God. Living in what God says is true and is real, and it's about filling you up, and it's about making you whole. And so it's about this table. And last week we had it filled with all of this food. Uh, there was a grapes and there was the fruit and bread and all of these sort of things. And the idea to be in Luke 14 where Jesus talked about the feast is in particular who was going to be there and who wasn't and how it's going to work and what it means to be a host and what it means to be a guest and what it means to be invited to the feast. And we're going to continue on the next three weeks with continuing kind of shaping this, the prodigal son, around the table. And in particular, these three spots. Um, we're going to be looking at those. And I don't know about you, but I had a spot when I was growing up. In my family, uh, we each had our spot. There's a table, and there was five of us. I had two sisters, my mom and my dad. And I had my spot. I came and I sat, and uh, it was a rectangular table. And my spot was kind of right there. That's where I sat every time. And my dad sat right over here. Mom sat over here. Mom sat, it was interesting. Mom sat so that she could get to the kitchen the easiest, uh, so that she could go back and forth because she was serving so much. Uh, then my two sisters and where they sat, and I think they spread them out a little bit so that we wouldn't fight at the table. But everybody had their spot. And then when I grew up and became an adult, and Melissa and I had our own family. Oh, look, I can see you now. Oh, it's good to see. And we had our own family. It was the same thing. I had my spot. I knew where my spot was. As a matter of fact, once I started traveling, I was in the business world and I started traveling regularly, one of the things that would happen is when I was gone and my spot was empty, my wife and my kids got the bright idea that one of them would come down dressed as me. They would, come, they would get one of my shirts and they would get one of my caps and then they, they would come down and one of, you know, sometimes even kind of fake beard on on the face, and would come down and sit in my spot and be me while I was gone. I have a feeling that this wasn't so much about honoring me as much as it was about mocking me. I think they enjoyed sitting there and going, I'm the dad, I'm the dad, oh, this is the way it works. I do know that it freaked the dog out because either my wife or my kids had come down and they'd have my clothes on and the hat and the kind of the beard and the dog would look and kind of bark and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't understanding that real well and it was freaking him out. But the idea was that I had my spot, and when I'm not there and my spot's empty, it kind of made me feel nice that something was missing. There was something missing 
when I wasn't there. And then as my kids graduated school, I started noticing that. My oldest daughter, when she graduated, she went off to college. Spot. It's empty. We missed it. She wasn't there where she was supposed to be. That was, that was her place. And she wasn't there. And then my younger daughter, and she graduates, and then she goes, and then that spot, it's empty because she had her spot. When she wasn't there, it was noticeable. And so what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about a man who had a son. And when the son decided that he wanted to leave his spot, how noticeable it was. And so we're going to kind of go down that path a little bit. But before we continue, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for today we are so grateful for uh, this being the Lord's Day. This is a day that we can stop and uh, we can remember to start the week off with thoughts of you and what you've done for us and how you love us and that we are your people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless our time today, uh, that you would uh, bless the words that are spoken from a broken man and that you would translate them with your Holy Spirit into the hearts of the people uh, here in this room, that those who don't know you would come to see who you are, that those of us that have been walking with you will remember what a blessing and a grace it is to belong to you and to sit at your table. For those that are uh, hurting and embattled right now spiritually, that you would give them peace, that you would give them joy in following you. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we got a story today uh, about this young man, but one of the things I want to do is I want to change the context. If you remember, last week we were in chapter 14, and one of the things that happened was Jesus had an audience, and his audience was a certain group of people. It was the religious people, and it was religious leaders, because if you remember, in Luke 14, it starts out that he went to a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath, and he began to talk to them about the kingdom, and he began to talk to them about a feast, and what it means to be a host, and what it means to be a guest, and who gets invited to the feast. But don't forget... He was talking to religious people. He was, at a Samar- he was at a Pharisee's home. And because he was at a Pharisee's home, that meant that the audience was restricted to religious people. Because you need to know, the Pharisees were not going to invite certain people to their home. Now Luke 15 immediately changes, and you have a different audience. As a matter of fact, if you start and you look at Luke 15 to begin with, there's this new audience of two different sets of people. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So there's this real unique audience right now that we have with Jesus. This didn't happen all the time. You need to know to have your, your sinners and your tax collectors, and sorry, and I don't just mean this side of the room, I'm just being, making a, this, your sinners and your tax collectors, and then to have your Pharisees and your teachers of the law, there at the same time was not something that always happened, okay? Think about this for a minute. When Jesus went to the home of Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, you need to know the Pharisees were not there in that home, okay? The teachers of the law, they didn't go. And you need to know, when Jesus was at the Pharisees' home and he was talking, the tax collectors and the sinners, they weren't there. So it is a more unique situation to be at a place where he has both groups there together. And I've always pictured this, of this unique situation where Jesus looked out and he saw this crowd of two very different types of people, or who thought they were very different types of people. And I kind of pictured it like this, where you would have your, your sinners and your tax collectors and then 
you have your Pharisees and your teachers of the law, and maybe there's this nice aisle down the middle separating them. Because you need to know the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they don't even want to bump into tax collectors and sinners. Their interest was in remaining clean. That was an important thing for them, was to remain clean. And, and so to even bump into a tax collector meant you were unclean. And I mean, you're going to have to go through some ceremonial things. You don't, you don't want to do that. So I always pictured there was this aisle, this division, this divide right here. But I tell you, that this last week, as I looked at that scripture over and over again, one of the things that kind of shifted for me as an image was that I don't think it's, it's an aisle in between, but I think you really had two groups, one closer and one further away. Because when you look at that scripture again, if you can put that back up, one of the things that you'll notice is that the tax collectors and the sinners all gathered around him. As a matter of fact, the word that's used there in the Greek says that they drew near to Jesus. You have sinners and tax collectors, and it says, and they drew near to Jesus. Then it says the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, they, muttered, they were also there, and they muttered about it. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, that doesn't sound the same. It sounds to me like you had one group that drew near to Jesus, and you had another group that kind of stood back and made some judgments about it. I don't picture anymore it being this group and this group. I kind of picture it being this group and this group. And I think that's going to become a huge part of what happens over this whole chapter and the things that Jesus wants to let us know. Because there's something really important I think Jesus saw when he looked out and saw this group. And, and, and don't forget, it's not just that they wanted to draw near and the others muttered. One of the things that they said was, look at him. It's like he awaits them. It's like he waits on them. It's like he has this desire to talk to him, and they didn't understand that, and they didn't like that. So why does he spend this time waiting on them, making sure, giving them his attention? Why is he doing that? And they had a real problem with that. He waits on them. He looks forward to them. And that's what I think led to probably this division there and led to Jesus looking out and going, okay, so I got both these audiences here. It's time for me to tell this story. And, and you know it's an important thing because as a rabbi, Jesus told it three times in three different ways. So here's what he does. He looks out and he says, okay, I've got these two different groups. I want to tell you a story. There was once a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep. And one of them was missing. And so he left the 99 that were still there on the countryside to actually go find the one that was missing. And when he found it, he picked it up and he put it on his shoulders, and he carried it back, and then he gathered around his friends, and they rejoiced that he brought one back. Do you get it? Let me tell you another story. There was once a woman, and she had some coins, and she lost one. And so what she did was she stopped everything while she searched for that one coin. And when she found it, and she brought it back, then she rejoiced, and she invited people to rejoice with her. And that was her joy that she had returned it back. You get it? Let me tell you one more story. There was once a man, and he had two sons. And one of the sons decided that he was going to leave. And that's where we are right now. That's what we're talking about is this story and about this son. And I can't emphasize enough that this is Jesus trying to make a point to these group of people 
that he's talking to, and they're going to hear it in very different ways, depending on where they are and what their life experience has been. They're going to hear this in different ways, and that was the whole point. So Jesus starts telling the story about this son. There was this son that had his place at his father's table, at his home. He had his own spot, and it was a spot of a son. And you need to know it was a good spot. I mean, if you listen to the story, one of the things you find out is that this is a place where there's plenty. I mean, these are folks that have enough to eat. They have servants. Even talk later, they have a fatted calf that they keep ready to go at any moment. This is a place where this son was home, where he had his own spot. He had a title of son. He had all the rights and privileges that come with the title of son. He was filled completely all the time at the cost of somebody else. Someone else providing this, but he always had everything that he needed in every way. And then one day he decided he didn't want that spot anymore. I don't want this spot at the table. I actually want something else. And it's a fascinating thing to start thinking about why someone would decide that they want to give up their spot at this table. Why would you do that when you have everything that you need? When you have love, you have acceptance, you have sonship, you got enough to fill yourself constantly at the cost of somebody else. Why would you want to leave? And we're not told completely, but there's a few things that we can probably guess as to why he wanted to leave. One of them is the battle that we all have. And it's the idea of enough versus more. That is a battle that's going on in our world all the time as to whether or not we have enough or whether or not we want more. And I'll tell you, we live in a world that says more all the time. You need more, you want more, you should be more, gather more, collect more, save more, make sure you have more. And maybe the sun just fell to that of going, I have enough, but enough is not enough. And so I've decided that what I want is I want more. I don't want to rely on you for the things that I have that are enough. Instead, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go gather more. As a matter of fact, I wonder if maybe you thought, you know, my father's provided enough, but maybe there is more out there that, that my father's not providing for me. Maybe there's more that he's keeping from me. Maybe he doesn't want the best for me, and he's keeping me from getting all of the things that would make me feel like more. So he decided to leave. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the idea of him going, you know what? I really would like to build my own kingdom. I'm tired of sitting at the table of your kingdom where this is about you and these are your things and you provide and it's your purposes and it's your intention. And really what I'd like to do is I'd like to have my own table where it's about me and it's about the things that I want. I'd like to build my own kingdom that has my own purposes and it has my own desires and to where I'm the one that's in charge of it. I want a kingdom that's mine. I want all the same stuff, like I want your stuff, I want to be filled, and I want a spot. I just don't want you. Instead, I'd like for it to be me and my kingdom that's centered around what I want and what I want to do. Now, you need to understand when he asks for his part to leave, no matter what the reason was, you need to understand what a huge deal this was in the Jewish culture. It's a, it's a patriarch-led uh, culture in the Jewish culture in the first century. One of the things that happened was the father was the one who owned the land and he owned the house and everything that he had, his flocks and his herds, his son's job was to help maintain that, to help keep that, to help care for that so that it would continue to survive 
And not only that, that it would thrive, that the Father's kingdom would thrive, and that one day what would happen is the Son would inherit the kingdom and it would be passed on to them. So this wasn't just a, hey, I'm going to live here until I go off to college and then I'm going to leave and Dad's kingdom's going to be okay. You need to know this was part of the whole household. That's why when it talks about that a son would go to get married, what he would do is he would build onto his father's house. Because what he's doing is he's expanding his, God, his father's kingdom. I'm going to expand your kingdom. I'm going to build onto your house. I'm going to invite my wife, and then we're going to come here. Because what happens is the father's kingdom is going to increase, and it's going to grow. And that's what my job is as a son, is to help my father's kingdom expand, and to be safe, and to last, and to have some eternity. So when the son comes to the father and says, listen, I'm done. I want out. You need to understand, this is not just about getting my inheritance a little early so that I can go. It's a pure rejection of the Father. It is a rejection of Him and who He is and everything He's got and His future. And more than anything, it's a rejection of this place at the table. I just don't want it anymore. And so I'm going to go. Now, whatever the reason was for that, when he decided to do that, the words that he used kind of have a lot to do with deserve. He went to him and he says, Father, I want you to give me what I'm due. I want you to give me what I, have, what I, have, what I deserve. I want you to give me what I'm due. I want you to give me what has, I've got coming to me. And, and this seems to be kind of a theme that's going to happen here quite a bit that I want us to look at is this idea of deserve. I would like what I'm worth. I would like what I'm due. I would like what I deserve. And so even with that, when he says that the father decided to give it to him, the way we read it is that the father decided to divide up what he had. And really, if you go back and you look at the original Greek in that one, what it says really is that the father divided up his life. The father divided up his life, and he gave the son what he was asking for. So again, for the son to ask to be able to go and say, I would like what I'm due, came at great cost for the father for him to divide up his life and to give it to him. So the son leaves, and we know this story, right? This has become a popular story in culture, not just inside the church, but outside of that. And then the world did to the son what the world does. It started hitting him right in the gut. And it kicked him and it knocked him down. And he finds himself in this place that is the worst of all places. He's humiliated and he's defeated and he's in a pig pen, which is the worst place that you can be as a, as a Jewish follower of God. The filthiest, most humiliating place that he can possibly be. And I'll tell you, over years, a lot of times, us in the church and in America, one of the things that we do is we look at this and we go, this is a great tale of how if you go and squander what you have, you get what you deserve. And there's a valuable lesson to be learned from this. Don't take your inheritance and go squander it on wild living. And what happens is we start falling into this trap of deserve. Well, you learned a valuable lesson. It was good for the boy to learn that. He kind of got what he deserved, wasting all of that. That's not the way that you're supposed to live. And we missed the point of this whole thing. I had a, um, a professor out at ACU. I think he's somebody that came and spoke to you guys one time. His name's Ken Sokrowski. And he told this story about the prodigal son. And one of the things he explained was something that just went right over my head for years and years. And I, I don't know if you'll feel the same way, but it's something that kind of blew me away. At the son ending up where he was, 
So years ago, he said, there was a, there was a, a minister who met with mission, missionaries from all over the world. And he asked them, why did the young man end up destitute and alone in a pigsty? And the missionaries from the United States said, because he squandered it on wasteful living. So he wasted his money. He had all this money. He wasted it. That's what happens. You get the money, you waste the money, you end up in a bad spot. And that's what happens. But when he asked the missionaries from Russia, these are ministers, Russian ministers, who had come, and he said, why was the man destitute and alone in a pigsty? They said, because there was a famine. It says right there, there was a famine. And these are people who knew a famine. They had experienced famine before. And they go, well, sometimes that's what the world does to you, is a famine comes along, and you end up destitute and alone. And then he asked some of the pastors and the ministers from Africa. And he said, why did the young man end up alone and destitute and in the pigsty? And they go, because nobody would help him. It says right there, no one would help him. And if you come from a culture that is dependent on a village sort of mentality where we care for each other, we take on each other's burdens, we help one another, then it makes perfect sense that the young man got out there and what happened was he didn't have anyone who cared for him and he was alone. And that's what happens. You end up destitute and you end up humiliated when you don't have family, when you don't have people that care for you. And it was amazing to me because I had even just blasted right past the idea of a famine, and the idea that he was alone. And just concentrated on the idea, well, he spent his money poorly, and this is what happened. I went straight into this idea of he kind of got what he deserved. If you waste it, that's where you end up. You end up with what you deserve, with nothing. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in this story that Jesus told that ended up, whether it was because of the young man's poor decisions or the world just doing to us oftentimes what the world does to us. But one of the things that happened was the young man ended up in this place. And then this amazing thing happens. It's in verse 17. This amazing thing. It says that he came to his senses. When he came to his senses... I think that is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. A son that's away from his father who ends up in a mess, and all of a sudden he came to his senses. If you think about that, he's in a spot where I know he's got to be going, this is who I am now. I'm in this pile of filth with these unclean animals, being a disgrace to not only my father but to God. I'm messy, I'm nasty, I'm smelly. And this is my life now. How in the world did I end up here? How did this happen? This was not the plan. When I went and asked my father for what I was due, the plan was not to end up here. I didn't wake up one morning and go, boy, I really have this dream to someday end up in this place where I'm humiliated and alone and I have nothing and I'm filthy in a pigsty. Nobody plans that. Yet they find themselves in this spot and especially for this young man where he's being crushed under the expectation that he had of his own kingdom and the fact that it's fallen apart in every way. My idea of my own kingdom is crushed me, and I'm broken in every single way, completely destroyed. But then that verse, he came to his senses. 
And the way that that's translated is he had a clear sense of himself. All of a sudden, he had a clear sense of himself. He had a better mind, and he had a clarity. And all of a sudden, things shifted. He had this conversation with himself in a pig pen, and it's a really important conversation, and it's probably one that a lot of us have had before. You sit there and you go, this is not the life I wanted. This is not who I wanted to be. This is not who I planned to be. And there's no way out of this for me on my own power. I cannot get myself out of this. I don't have a way out. I've got nothing left anymore. And so he finds himself in this spot and with clarity says, but I know a place. I remember a place. I remember a place at a table that I had where I was filled and things were complete and I could rest and I knew who I was and I knew what my identity was and I knew who loved me and I know who called me son. And not only did I have enough, even the servants at this place had more than they could eat. And he has this conversation about why am I here when I could be back there? And then that conversation moves to, well, I've ruined this place. I know that's where I used to sit, but I've ruined that. I've ruined my title of being called son. I've probably ruined the idea of being loved by my father. I've probably ruined the possibility of me ever sitting in this place again. But maybe, maybe what I can do is I can earn my way back into my father's kingdom. I'll be a servant, and I'll work. And what I'll do is I'll work, and I'll do the right things, and I'll obey. And if I do that enough, maybe, maybe he'll just let me back into his kingdom. I won't get this spot back. I've ruined that. I've blown it for good. But maybe I'll earn my way back into his kingdom in some way. He still got that idea of deserve. You see how he's still mistaken? Before when he said, I deserve this, give it to me as your son, he was wrong. And now when he's in the spot to go, I don't deserve it, so there's no way I can get back in, he's wrong. It's never been about deserve. Never was it about deserve. So after this conversation, he even practices. This is what I'll say. I'll say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I don't deserve to sit in this place anymore. But if you'll let me be a servant, that's what I'll say. And so he gets up and he starts heading back. And I picture, I, you know, I don't know, this is parable. I don't know how long in the story he was gone. I don't know how long the walk was back. I'll tell you, I've always pictured him still covered in pig filth, in manure, in the smell. Because he doesn't have any means to clean himself up. And what's the purpose in it right now? I got nothing. I am walking back to my father with nothing except the filth of this world and what I've done to myself. And so he goes walking back, looking completely different than when he left. Without the pride, without the arrogance, without the clean clothes. And instead he's skinny and he's drawn and he's covered in filth. And yet still his father recognizes him from a long way off. And he runs to him and it says that he grabs him and he collapses on his neck and he begins to kiss him and then the son begins his speech that he's practiced a hundred times on the way back. Filled with fear, I've practiced this speech. I'm going to say, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I don't deserve to sit here anymore. Can I be? And he can't even get it all out. He can't even get it all out. His father interrupts him. He goes, Sandal. Shoes, I want shoes, I want a robe, I want a ring. Put it on him right now. 
And you need to know those are the symbols of sonship. Put these things back on my son and restore his place. Set the table. Put his plate back, put his glass back, put his spot back. That place has been empty for too long. He's going to come and he's going to sit there again. And I'm going to restore every single bit of that to him. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. For us, there's a few things we need to look at with this. One is, there's a lot of us that when I start talking about your place at home and this table, it wasn't a pleasant memory for you. Some of us, we didn't grow up at a place where we had this spot and where there was joy and where there was acceptance and where there was love and there was plenty and where it was complete and rest. It wasn't like that. It may have been a place where there wasn't enough. It may have been a place of abuse and it may have been a place of condemnation and it may have been a place where hard things were said. It may not be a pleasant experience for you at all. You need to understand we're talking about something different. Don't forget Luke 14. Luke 14 is about the feast of God. And for those of us that did grow up Maybe at the Feast of God going, I've always known the Lord. I've always been there. You need to know it's never been about deserve. And we need to be reminded we didn't earn our way here. Amen. Nobody at this table deserves. Nobody. There's nobody who sits here who deserves. We came filthy. We came dirty. We came back and we were allowed to sit here in this place. And you need to know, if you've never sat here before, if you've never made the decision to go, I am placing myself at the Lord's table, you need to understand something. It is not about your ability. It is not about what you've done to get here. Isn't that awesome? Because let me tell you, if this table was built on our ability, none of us get to sit here. Instead, it's built on a sacrifice of Christ. It's built on a love that was so high and so great and so big that it led to an ultimate sacrifice to set this table. And everybody that's here gets to sit here because of who the host is, because the Father made it so. At great cost, we get to sit and we get to fill ourselves with mercy and with grace and with belonging, and we get to be called sons and daughters. That's all there is at this table is sons and daughters. That's all there is. And you need to know, not even grandsons and granddaughters. Our, our Father doesn't have grandkids. You need to know everybody gets to be a son and a daughter. Everybody gets to make this decision on their own. Nobody inherits this place. People decide, I want to sit at my father's house. I want to sit at my father's table. That's what we do. And every single one of us gets to be a father and a son. And I want to tell you, if you haven't made that decision yet, if you're wondering whether or not there's a place that's actually for you, i got to tell you, there's a place waiting for you here. One of the neatest things about this story that I found was when the father says, we have to celebrate because my son who is dead is alive and he was lost as is found. This word lost is not just a word like it was lost, misplaced. The word lost means destroyed. It was destroyed and it's been found and put back together again. So when he says, my son who was destroyed by his own choices, by what the world did to him, has been put back together and now is found again. You need to know there is nothing that is so destroyed that God can't put it back together. That's the whole point of the story. Nothing's that destroyed there. God doesn't recognize it. 
and see it for what it is. And you get to come back and you get to sit at this table. We're going to take a minute and we're going to enter into a time of prayer. Uh, we want to be people that pray. We want to be people that pray regularly. And, and when we hear the story of God and what he has for us, we want to be self-reflective. We want to be able to look at this and make sure we know who we are. To make sure we know, listen, if you sit at this table, it was not because of anything you brought. It was not because of anything you own. It is not because of anything you did. We all came here at great price for the host to have us sit here. And we need to remember that. And I want you to know if you haven't made the decision to come here and to sit at this table, you can do that today. It is a simple thing. It's an invitation for the Father that he just says, you come and sit at my table and then you let me fill you. All you have to do is you decide. This is what I'm giving my life to. I've decided I'm going to follow Christ. I don't even know what all that means to sit at this table, but I know that this is what I want. We would be happy to talk to you about that. We would be happy to baptize you into Christ, have you come up as a new creation, have the old pigsty clothes come off and the new clothes of a son and a daughter be on you for the rest of your life. You'd be clothed in Christ. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different table. And we want you to know that at this place, this is where sonship, this is where daughtership, this is where we belong. This is the place where you'll be filled forever. So we're going to take some time to pray. There's going to be a few songs. Pray at your seat if you need to. Go pray with an elder or one of the ministers around. They will be back there. Pray with somebody next to you. It's okay to just grab somebody and go, hey, will you pray with me or can I pray with you? We want to be able to do that. But there's going to be a few songs we're going to sing. There's an opportunity for you to pray where you are or to pray with us or around the outside of the building. And then we're going to have our call to prayer where your requests have been brought up and Art will lead that and we'll pray over that. Let's, let's start with this prayer that uh, I'll lead us into and then we'll have some songs. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it lives and it breathes and it teaches us so much about ourselves and about our relationship with you. God, we are so grateful for uh, the table that you set and that you call us to it to be sons and daughters. We're not servants. We're not guests. We're not people that have to earn our way to this, but instead uh, you have set a place for us and you allow us uh, to be called sons and daughters of yours. We're thankful that it has nothing to do with deserve. Uh, we're thankful that this table is not built on our own actions and our own effort and our own ability, but instead it's built on the grace and the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ. That it is a cross and it is an empty tomb that makes this possible. And so, Lord, we ask that you would pierce our hearts to remind us who we belong to, whose we are, and that we would live in that, and that we would dwell at your table forever and that we would take rest there, and we would abide there, and that it would be who we are. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.